So hello and welcome back to another Help for Mothers, the podcast that helps mothers with health, education, love, and protection. This is Augustine Colebrook, and together with my co-host... Hi, I'm Keisha Chiappinelli. Together we produce content almost weekly that aims at helping to demystify and clarify lots and lots of the moving parts of our maternal child health dysfunction, challenges, the ways that we really don't serve mothers well. And today we are discussing the licensure of midwives across the United States. It is definitely coming. So we have a few guests that are going to talk about how it played out in their state, best practices, consequences of licensing, the good, the bad, the ugly. There's a little bit of a divide on the topic. So we're, we're ready to dig in. Yeah, and I'm so excited that I get to have two, not just one, but two of my cohort from Bastyr University, Sarah Davis and Sarah Foster. Aside from being incredible midwives in their own communities of California and Oklahoma, they are also graduates of the Bastyr Master's program. And they both are working in legislative processes in their state. And then later on in the call, we're going to bring in Joyce Kimball, who is a licensed mid, uh, not a licensed midwife. She's fighting against licensure in uh, Massachusetts. So that'll, it's going to be a really great call. Let's jump in. I'm Sarah Foster. I'm a CPM in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And um, I'm just a midwife who does stuff, serves. That's that's mostly what I do. Okay, um, she also owns a birth center. And I own a she, birth center. She's got a master's in maternal child health system That's from Bastyr University. <laughs> and she's on the legislative committee. You're on the perinatal task force in Oklahoma. Come on, come on, there's a little I'm more. I'm on the community action team um, in Tulsa, which is, is, a, is a branch of the femur. Uh, so I'm the president of MSO, Midwife Society of Oklahoma, and um, also NACPM Oklahoma, and I'm the um, director of organizational development for MANA. Yeah, that's so what I thought. Those are the ways I serve. Yeah. <laughs> There's a few more right. things there. Well, but thank mostly you for it's just getting stuff that needs to be done. Yeah. It, it comes with various titles. Yeah, you're yeah. you're exceptional in that way, and I'm so happy to uh, have you today. First of all, I guess maybe tell us what did you do? What's happening in your part of the world? Yeah, so in Oklahoma, a couple of years ago, we all sort of united to fight what was a bad bill brought by somebody who's opposed to out-of-hospital birth for all intents and purposes, as far as we can tell. And we had decided at that time, because we've practiced unregulated, legal but unregulated, for a long time. And we're all really comfortable with that. We practice out in the open. And so we're really we were really comfortable with that. And then we had an inflammatory article come out and some bad outcomes. And those sort of got wrapped together and the legislators here decided they were going to bring legislation again this session. So when they decided that, we re-polled our collective midwifery community and to decide whether we we're going to fight legislation or guide it. And at that point, we decided we we're going to guide it. And because we had already written a, what we called a back pocket bill. So if, if the bad bill had gone forward, 
we were going to have an alternative ready, but we didn't want to propose that ourselves early. Well, this session, we decided to do that. And so we brought that language to the legislators who were interested in bringing regulatory language about midwifery and worked with them through this session. And really, we found a pretty easy route. We made a lot of people happy. There are some people who were unhappy on both sides, but for the most part, we made a lot of people happy. Um, and so now we're going on to rules. Wow. So let's, let's turn to Keisha really quick. Keisha, what, what is the difference between what she's talking about rules? Give us a little structure. We're talking about licensing midwives. Sure. So, you know, there are professionals who work in many different fields. Some are licensed, some are not. Licensing is a legal construct where generally speaking, the state at some level is regulating a profession. The idea being is that it's for the health, safety, and protection of the public. It takes many, many different forms and it looks very different from state to state. So, and we can break that down a little bit with some of the states I'm familiar with, but that's, that's it in a nutshell. And so you proposed, what did you call them, Sarah? It was a bill. So it would be the law, but then how you, how you interpret the law is the, what what do you call it? So basically our law sets up that we, what the rule makers will look like, um, who has the authority to make the rules. And then it sets up very few, because if it's in your law, if there's a requirement in your law, it's much harder to change that. If you can leave most of your requirements out of your law and just sort of outline what it's going to look like, who's going to make your rules, who's going to sort of be the boss of these rules, then those rules are much more flexible. So we left as much as possible for the rule writing um, process. We made our law broad and vague. Yeah, and I would agree with that for the most part. In and for example, in Arkansas, our law, we were one of the first states to uh, license midwives back in 1983, and our law requires physician supervision, which has morphed significantly from 1983 to the year 2020 and has presented some problems today. And that is why we attempted, and I say we, meaning a small group of consumers and some midwives who were in support of it, back in 2007, we attempted to do what we were presenting as an update of the law. And we wanted to remove that physician supervision requirement. We believe that there is sufficient, there is physician supervision in the form of our health department here being the regulators, they, they censure, they discipline, they devise rules. And in our opinion, that's enough physician supervision because the people who are doing that in our Department of Health are indeed physicians. But they have required in Arkansas that women who are under the care of a midwife, a licensed midwife, go to their local health unit and submit to a vaginal exam and other sorts of procedures and exams. And there are ways in some instances to opt out of that. 
but the general rule is still there and it's all tied back to what the law says, which is we have to have physician supervision. So, and, and just for clarification for the audience, a statute is actually the specific, like the codified statement of some law that was approved by the legislative body. So it goes through the house and then it, you know, it moves on and it's approved. And then the law is just more general and broad. It, it's the statutory administrative common law provisions that regulate our society. And the rules that we talk about uh, are made by state agencies and rules are, they're not laws technically, but they, they are just as meaningful as, as statutes and laws. And so in my mind, as an attorney, they're like the same thing. So, but I think, yeah. I think Sarah is correct. It is easier to change rules than it is to change law. Um, <laughs> I'll put it, I'll, I'll tell you this. In when I first got involved in this back in 2017, I remembered nothing about administrative law in law school. So I reached out to every colleague under the sun who would listen to me and wouldn't shy away from the topic of midwifery and babies and childbirth. And they all mentioned something called Chevron deference, which again, I did not remember from school. And they basically said, yeah, it's almost impossible to change a, a rule. And rulemaking, at least the way it's happening in our state, it's, there's a process that is laid out by statute. And what I find that happens is the state agency makes the rules that they want and they open it up to public comment. And it's all a farce. The rules are drafted. Our state, our health department worked on our rules here for two years. By the time they opened it up to public comment, it was, they already had, they had worked on it so long that they actually, nothing changed. So the state opened it up to public comment. And in response to significant public comment in the form of emails, letters, and public testimony at hearings, not a single rule changed. So the draft rules that the state agency created did not change in response to public comment at all. How is your advisory committee set up? Do you have an advisory committee? We do have a midwifery advisory board. I believe there are supposed to be two physicians on the board. I know at least one. They've never been able to fill that role because no physician will hang around long enough to participate. Mm -hmm. There's one member of the public and there are three or four licensed midwives on it. Mm -hmm. And they now, after the latest rule change, are only operating in an advisory capacity and basically making recommendations at this point, mm -hmm. where in the previous set of rules, it actually stated that the midwife advisory board had oversight power which mm -hmm. is huge in the legal world. If you have oversight power and they also had their own bylaws and articles of incorporation as well, mm -hmm. they actually, the way I read the previous rules, were supposed to be actually formulating rules and suggesting mm -hmm. rule changes, <laughs> not mm -hmm. the other way around. That sense has, is no longer an option with the new set of rules that the Department of Health wrote, and they wrote that power, that broad oversight power out of the current set of rules. And so mm -hmm. they are strictly advisory at this point. Mm -hmm. 
It's so it's so fascinating to unpack, and I'm really excited to say that Sarah Davis has joined us. Hi, Sarah. Can you hear us? Hey, how are you? Thank you so much for joining the conversation. Sarah is a midwife, a maternal child health investigator and researcher, and she's also running for office in California. Hi, Sarah. Will you give a bigger, broader introduction than that? Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for inviting me. I live in San Diego, and I'm running for our state assembly here in the San Diego County area. I'm running for the 78th district. There are 80 assembly people in California. I got interested in running for office because of my work as a grassroots advocate on maternal child health and midwifery policy issues. So just like the ones that you're dealing with as the you know, one of the advocates working on a couple of different bills over the last couple of years with scope of practice and licensed midwives. And we haven't gotten an independent board yet in California, but it's certainly something that we would love to achieve one day. I saw how difficult it is to really explain to folks who aren't, first of all, healthcare providers, and secondly, familiar with midwifery, how the midwifery model works and why it is different than medicine and why it needs to be regulated separately. So I decided to just jump in and run myself. And here I am. That's amazing. Well, so Sarah Foster on the call and I, we both had the opportunity to, to be sort of kind of graduates together. I mean, we were, we were, uh, long distance courses. So we waved on Zoom a lot, but it's been so exciting to hear and see some of the work that you did in your graduate program and your thesis around writing a unified board. Will you tell us a little bit about why that matters? Sure. So California has separate licensing for nurse midwives and licensed midwives, like the vast majority of states do. If they license CPMs at all, they, they're separately from nurse midwives. Um, in California, licensed midwives did, um, we did remove a physician supervision requirement from our law in 2013. Um, but nurse midwives in California do still have a physician supervision requirement. So that really has prevented the type of growth that we should have in midwifery in hospitals, where, as we all know, most people are having their babies. And it has also stunted the growth of nurse midwifery out of hospital as well. So California nurse midwives are actually attempting again after a number of, of tries to remove physician supervision from their from their law and they just had a hearing on Monday and they moved they moved forward um, so they're they're going they're moving they did move forward several other times and then get stalled at the end so the reason that I looked at doing a unified board was one to be able to more quickly scale up midwifery in all settings so that we can really make sure there's a midwife available to every pregnant and birthing person who wants one in our, in our very large state. And two, to kind of minimize some of the confusion and really hone down on what are essential skills of midwifery, what is an essential scope of practice, and regulate everything together. So that's not to say that nurse midwives wouldn't have some different scope of practice than LMs but it would all be regulated together in a unified way instead of being weird patchwork overlapping ancient pieces of code. That's amazing. 
And it seems like a daunting task because there are so many people kind of against the progress in midwifery. What have you faced and how, how do you think, how likely do you think this will move forward? It has absolutely been daunting. The Medical Association in California and California's ACOG have been major roadblocks and they have prevented this from moving forward uh, at every step. I hope that grassroots advocacy and the work that the nurse midwives are putting in um, this round will make a difference. But I think that we do need to have more people who stand midwifery and the model of care and all other non-physician providers in the government actually making the decisions. So I'm not the only running. I found, and I can't remember where she was, somewhere else in a a local office in another state. And then I know that there is someone running for state legislature in Colorado, who's a maternal child health, um, public health worker. Uh, Uh So it's happening. You know, more and more folks from the field are seeing that what we learn in our clinical work is valuable. And what we have to say on a whole lot of issues really makes makes sense for us to have to bring that perspective in like who knows better about the effect of paid family leave or what paid family leave would do for a family the benefit that they would have than the people who are taking care of them during their pregnancy we have a pretty good idea yeah 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 it's it's pretty it like i I talked to um this business advisor for doulas yesterday. And I was like, so why, why do you do this? So she's a graphic design artist and she helps to like streamline business. Why do you do this? She was like, Oh, I didn't want to be a doula. I didn't know anything about childbirth. I didn't know anything about midwifery, but I like fell down the rabbit hole because as soon as I read more and understood how this incredible offering of changing maternity care is being blocked by mainstream medicine, I felt like I had to throw my design powers behind mm-hmm. it. I was like, Oh my God, it's amazing. But it's true. Even folks that really don't care, quote unquote, about childbirth or, you know, moms or babies, once they understand the dramatic social inequities, the the lack of access, the, the barriers to care, and I think more than anything, the medical monopoly that has been systematically blocking the progress of actually evidence-based care for decades, it's so shocking you do become an advocate. You do get involved. And certainly, I feel like you are becoming one of the most tremendous advocates in the nation, (laughs) running for office to try to change some of these things. It's so exciting. Do you have any, any advice for moms that might be listening to this call and say, well, I want to make this more available in my state? Like, what can I do? Yeah, so find out who your state legislators are. So that would be like a state Senate, a state house, a state assembly, something like that. 49 states have two of them and one state has one of them. Figure out who yours are and stick their phone number somewhere. Stick, you know, put it in your phone. And when something comes up that is that you discover either something happening in your state or your town that's bothering you, or you see something awesome happening in another state, you can just call and a very nice receptionist person, staff person is going to answer the phone. And as long as you tell them that you are a voter where they live, you know, in their district, you're a constituent, they're going to listen to you and they're going to write it down. Um, They may not have a clue. They might be a 19 year old who does not know anything about what you're talking about, 
but they'll write it down. And if enough of folks, you know, keep bringing these issues up, at one point they're going to realize that moms with these types of maternal child health concerns are as important as some lobbyist who works on some other industry. That's cool. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us. We really, really Absolutely. appreciate your perspective. And we're, we wish we could vote in California <laughs> come the fall, but we'll be sending you lots of love. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Can I put a link to your campaign in our show notes? Please do. I would appreciate it very much. You can support in a variety of ways from anywhere in the country. It does not have to be in California. Awesome. That's what I was thinking. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank have you. a great day. All right. Take care. Bye. Okay. So another really exciting thing. I just got Joyce Kimball to say, yes, she will be on the call. Joyce is actively fighting legislation in Massachusetts. And I thought her perspective might be interesting for us to talk about. You guys game? Oh yeah. Yes. I do want to say something. Uh, I just want to piggyback off of something Sarah mentioned before she stepped off the those same legislators that you reach out to are actually involved in rulemaking, but at the back end. So it's important if rulemaking opens in your state, whether it's formal or informal and informal is usually how it happens where there is a public comment period, those rules will eventually get to a legislative committee. And citizens have a right to go to those committee meetings. And sometimes they happen when the legislature is not in session or is in a special session. So you really have to be tuned in to what's going on with your senators and members of the House where you are, because it's important for legislation, but it's also important in rulemaking. And we did not have a single person go to any of these legislative meetings where the rules were passing through because our State Board of Health did not inform us of the day or time that they were presented to the committees, which is actually part of the process. You have a right to know, and it's it's dictated in the Administrative Procedures Act that interested parties who have asked for notification of the rulemaking process be included and be notified of when the rules make it to the legislative committees. And the state of Arkansas did not do that. Isn't that illegal? Like, how can they do that? It absolutely is. I argued that in front of a judge and it seemed to make no difference. And I put that in the complaint that I filed against the Department of Health. God. Well, on that fun note, we are uh, so excited to to be joined by our lovely friend, Joyce Kimball. Joyce is a midwife and an advocate in Massachusetts. Hi, Joyce. Will you give a bigger introduction than that? Who are you? Where are you? Hi, I am Joyce Kimball. I'm a CPM in Massachusetts. Awesome. And to me, I follow you on social media and, and we're, you know, kind of friends. And I see that you are pretty actively campaigning against licensure in your state. And I'm going to kind of ask you to, to, to stand behind that and tell us a little bit more about why. From a public perspective, the idea of, which Keisha introduced a little bit ago, the, the idea of administrative rulemaking, lawmaking around licensing healthcare professionals is for the health and safety of the public, right? We want to protect the public from dangerous, unethical provider people. And actually, Sarah Foster, who's on the call, she practiced 
currently practices in a legal but un unregulated state and was very happy doing so before they introduced licensure process. You currently are doing that. Will you tell us more about why that's important? Why, why, why should we remain legal but unlicensed? Well, philosophically, I have only seen licensure of home birth midwives be used to punish and reprimand. I have not seen licensure of home birth midwives be used to sort of raise up the profession. I find it to be a gold star and hoop jumping. And I sit in a very privileged position because in Massachusetts, we had a case in the 1980s where a statute was created where the practice of midwifery was determined to be not the practice of medicine. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I work in a state where so far district attorneys and medical providers with a hair across their butt have not prosecuted or persecuted Massachusetts home birth midwives. I like want to knock on wood and throw salt over my shoulder. And we tend to have had in the 20 years that I've been practicing pretty great relationships, cordial mm -hmm. with district attorneys, with our OBGYNs. We do so few home birth in Massachusetts. It's, there are about 40 home birth midwives there are about 400 home births and there are about 70,000 births in Massachusetts. And we but have that's still a lot of numbers, even though proportionately it's low, there right. are only like seven licensed midwife in Alabama, you know, so it's like, it's actually okay. pretty exceptional okay. compared to okay. some states. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the, I see the proportion to your state population. It feels right. Low. And this yeah. was our exact, just to, yeah, yeah please do. just as an FYI, this was our exact position two years ago. Yeah. And the exact, well, a very similar situation. In terms of you were not being prosecuted or persecuted. That's right. And we had been determined to be not practicing medicine. And we had practiced in the open for since statehood. Right. With lab privileges, with public health lab privileges, with birth certificate accounts, state training for newborn screenings inclusion in here here hearing screens oh, inclusion in metabolic screening yes, all the right. things right all you were fully things. integrated yeah fully integrated so what what changed sarah i'm going to come back to you joyce but like what what mm -hmm. caused the change sarah there was a there was a bad outcome in fact it wasn't a bad outcome it was a dramatic birth and the midwife did things that are Absolutely within the scope of midwifery practices, it's understood internationally, but can be interpreted as the practice of medicine. And that midwife was like giving an injection charges, to stop like giving an injection yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of anti-hemorrhagic drugs. Uh, absolutely 100% the right thing to do if someone's hemorrhaging and felony charges. Um, felony practicing medicine charges were brought against her in Oklahoma. It's, so. Okay. It, that exact thing that you just said, Joyce, changed in that we all had an agreement that this was okay, and then one day it wasn't. And, and then you're looking at, well, do you, do you define midwifery so it's clear that those things are midwifery and you can continue to act in the best interest of your clients? 
or do you keep hoping that the DA is going to have a good day? And it was actually the attorney general. Well, and I just wanted to interject there because I had a flashback to when I filed my lawsuit against the Arkansas Department of Health. And I think Joyce and Sarah will find this interesting because the Arkansas Department of Health is given such great deference Mm -hmm. in the rulemaking process. It was it's very, very hard to challenge. And earlier I mentioned something called Chevron deference, but it's this principle in law that basically requires the courts to defer to interpretations of statutes or the law made by government agencies. So when we were talking earlier about removing physician supervision from certain laws and the importance of a good, clean law that doesn't get too into the weeds, it's also important to remember that however a state agency interprets that, the, the courts will defer to them they are essentially considered experts. Mm -hmm. So that was a problem for us in our lawsuit. And it was like, how do we get around that? Well, when I dug a little bit deeper, I realized, okay, there's something out there called promulgating statutes, okay? Those are laws that basically say what the Board of Health can do, okay? So in my mind, I think of a timeline. Let's go back to when the Board of Health in Arkansas began. There's a promulgating statute out there that basically says, okay, Board of Health, this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. And we see in the promulgating statute those key terms, protect public health and safety, which we could unpack for days. But, and I think that's very problematic with what we all are doing in this space. But if I read a little bit further in that promulgating statute, what I saw were some really interesting words. The board shall not regulate the practice of medicine or healing, nor interfere with the right of any citizen to employ the practitioner of his or her choice. So that's something that the Board of Health in Arkansas can't do. Yes, Sarah. Are you still working? Is is your statute... House Bill 1625, is that's, that's what I found to read. Is that the one that you're working under? I think so, yeah. It's the original, the law hasn't changed. It's the original 87. Yeah, um, I, I think you're looking at Ellis, the right one. Collier and Williams, Willems. Yeah, let me, I'll, I'll find it while we're discussing, but I think that's right. It, it's Our been laws are extremely different and we did a lot of groundwork. So it remains to be seen what our rules will do, right? Yeah, and my point with that was that it's interesting because I know we don't want to call, and I'm not a midwife, but I know we don't want to necessarily, in some circles, I've put the question out there, are midwives practicing medicine or not? And the overwhelming answer is absolutely not. And I think we'd all agree women have been having babies and helping other women have babies since the beginning of time. But I like to just Before medicine. Before Before medicine. medicine. Before medicine was even a thing or called medicine. But sometimes you have to look to see what your laws say Mm -hmm. and craft a narrative that works with the law. And if the Board of Health, at least in my state, can't regulate the practice of medicine, maybe we define midwifery as, the pra- as a sort of practice of medicine in order to get around the rulemaking process. Does that make sense? Like what I'm saying? It kind of, of does, but it feels it like problematic because when, 
when we give definition of care over to an entity that we don't philosophically agree with, we have a different philosophy of care. The obstetrical model, the medical model of care is radically different than the midwifery model of care. And when we, we, we go under that umbrella, we in some way give permission to define all the scope of care. I want to go back to you, Joyce, really quickly. Uh, can, you, can you verbalize why it's so important to stay independent and autonomous? Like, why like does I it matter? Said, oh, I have a lot of mixed feelings about this. I, yeah. I want to go along to get along. I really do. And I, I, I you know, there's, there's, a, there's a piece of me that would love to fall back into the arms of the state and say, yes, just tell me what to do so I don't have to work this hard. I, I get <laughs> that, <laughs> right? Uh, because if I uh, remain autonomous, I need to decide for myself what's in my scope of practice and what I'm comfortable with. And I have to have these grown up adult big girl panties on dialogues, right? With myself and with my sister midwives and with my clients. And I deeply value that. So, uh, but I get that we get a gold star if we get licensed, right? We get, we get, I, I don't know, some, I don't know, special dispensation or something. I, I don't know what the special thing is. So. Uh, I keep getting told two things. One, if we do not license ourselves, someone will come along and license us, you know, based on a court case, you know, a district attorney will get upset one day. So here in Massachusetts, the midwives did not choose, they did not sit at a table and license themselves. Um, the, the big push, you know, Susan, uh, selected, yes, selected a lawyer they, a lawyer, birth rights lawyer, they wrote a bill and they, they wrote the, the legislation that is now in front of the Massachusetts state house. And I, you know, I fought heartily against it. Right. I, I, but we are not part of the process. This is something that is being done to us. You know, two thirds of the home birth midwives in Massachusetts do not want to be licensed. We really just want to like fly under the radar, do our thing, provide care, so, but here, you know, here we are, right? The, the cat is out of the bag. The bill has been written. It's been presented. So now we're constantly scrambling to make the bill that we didn't write and don't support be the best it can possibly be. So in, in to try to compromise and to try to be conciliatory, I've said, okay, if, if you want to give me this gold star, if I have to pay for this gold star, if this makes everybody feel better, then add the clause, you know, with documented informed consent, the hiring family can have whoever they want at their birth. I forget the actual language, but it's one line that would protect birth choice. With documented informed consent or choice, the person who gets hired can choose whoever they want. And it gets rid of the meek stuff. It says you can either, you know, be a pep or a meek person. And I, I cannot contact or communicate with the other side, Bay State Birth Coalition, to add these two, in, you know, protective, you know, protective of midwives, protective of consumers, clauses that would protect choice, which just tells me that it's, this is all just 
it's like a game. It's like it, it's being set up to punish. It's not being set up to protect people's choice to choose where and with whom they birth. Well, you're not wrong, I think. I mean, Keisha has mentioned this before in previous podcasts. Like, the law is a game. <laughs> it, it is. It's, it is a game. How, That's right. How well can you play the game? How well can you compete against others who are really good at playing the game? Mm -hmm. And the game is not the stated purpose to protect the public because protection now also means reducing choice, right? It means, it means, what was that great quote that um, Hermine said on our last call, Keisha, do you remember? She said, this, the, state has, the state has their finger on the scale, right? They're directing the choice points. Um, and that is what licensing does to a certain extent. It looks like it's providing a safe, definable option, but in fact, it's narrowly defining the choices available to people. You can now only have a physician or a state licensed midwife. And many, many states do not have the clause you're talking about, Joyce, where the family is free to choose their birth attendant of any variety. Right. In some states, this looks like an indigenous midwife clause or a traditional culturally, you know, cultural midwife clause. We did have that when I was working in Oregon and, and licensure became required in Oregon. We did get that clause in that cultural midwives are able to practice without requirement of licensure. So folks from an Amish community or folks from a Hasidic Jew community or folks from whatever tr community that traditionally has midwives could have their midwives and they don't have to jump through the process of being state licensed. But the trade-off was they couldn't advertise, they couldn't right. carry meds or oxygen, and they couldn't call themselves a midwife. Punishment. So that's not really midwifery anymore, could right? Could they because charge they, for their services? No, and Obviously. they couldn't charge right. for their services. That's, no. the big, that's the big piece. If you're not charging, yeah. then it doesn't matter anywhere. So they're outlawing a profession for a traditional community, right? Because you become an outlaw if you practice safely or if you practice receiving money other than it, like a chicken or in Oregon, it would be a jar of weed. And that means that, that the state, again, has their finger on the scale. They're tipping the balance. So in Oklahoma, that's why we're less worried about, about rulemaking. And again, we'll see. We're aware that there are pitfalls. But in Oklahoma, we have unlicensed midwives. And, and legally they're not so. regulated in any way except they can't practice medicine. So Right now, that's what the not, statute says right now? No, well, it doesn't say anything. But when we define our formulary... When we define what a licensed midwife can do, which theoretically will include administer Pitocin, then if you're not a licensed midwife, you won't be able to do that. So you'll be giving up what technically was um, prosecutable anyway. Hmm. But there's no regulation about unlicensed midwives. We have too, we have too much health freedom, uh, health choice people. We have too much push. And so that's written from your consumer into our base. law. Yeah. But what that means is for most things in our rules, the choice is, do you want to allow licensed midwives to do it? Or do you want those people to go to unlicensed midwives? So it, will, you, it will you give us an the, example? Can you, can you spit? Cause that's a really good choice point. Can you, can you spin that out a little bit more? Like imagine so the mom, what's the choice? 40, 42, like over 42 weeks. 
So when we're writing our rules, are we going to make that? So Texas has a cutoff at 42. I'm licensed in Texas. And so I know Texas rules pretty well. So Texas has a cutoff at 42. Texas is um, a very, it has a, it allows a very broad scope, but 42 is a hard line. In Oklahoma, we don't want 42 to be a hard line. We increase surveillance. We monitor extremely closely after 42, get extensive informed choice after 42. But women have babies at 42 and one or 42 and two. They didn't need to get induced under our law. If we, if licensed midwives weren't allowed to keep you, then you could go to an unlicensed midwife. So there's no reason to write that out of the law. I see what you're saying. It would just drive, it would drive choice further underground or further away from services. And then Sarah, you mentioned earlier, so in the act, in the actual, the codified statute now, there is no formulary spelled out. There is no formulary spelled out, but it is required. Okay. So then you're going to have to work as an advisory board with the state agency to insert what you want into the rules. That's right. It also allows for, so in Texas, they have standing orders. And so you can obtain and administer what you have standing orders for. In Oklahoma, we, we wrote into the law that you can't obtain or, or maybe you can't administer if it's not covered by the formulary or ordered by a physician. And so even if the formulary isn't necessarily as broad to start with, which we think it will be broad, but if it is not, we can still work with the physicians that we already work with, with orders. Is there, is there a, a part about physician supervision or collaboration? No, no. Well, so um, let's go, let's no, because pull we're back autonomous out. Practitioners. Yeah. Which we, we're right, not under physicians. Yeah. We are a different thing. And have but you, does, do you have an autonomous board? No, we don't. We're under the health department. Um, the autonomous board was never going to happen in Oklahoma. We can't pay for it. We don't create new boards in Oklahoma. And that might change a lot later, but even Texas went, Texas did have an autonomous board and they went to an advisory committee. They moved to an advisory committee, which seems to be what's happening in the whole U.S. as far as midwifery. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, so there's a couple issues. I want to zoom back out and look at the 30,000 foot view to kind of make sense of all these incredible influences and conversations we've had. So one of the main issues that consumers face, so pregnant people all over the country face a couple main issues. One is access to care, mm-hmm. right? The idea that we could license midwives is the idea is that we would increase access. I'm not sure that's the case, but that is one of the arguments, right? I, I think that access really has more to do with money than it has to do with licensure. So then we, ha- we come to the payer source, right? So one of the trade-offs is y'all get licensed and play by the rules and in exchange, we'll let you take Medicaid. But Medicaid in almost every state in the nation, Alaska being just about the only exception, does not pay the cost of actually providing the care in a, in a high touch, low tech, long connected midwifery experience where we see them 
you know, 10 to 16 times in their pregnancy and are with them for 24 hours in their labor and then see them at 24 hours and three days and seven days and six weeks and all the things that midwives do, the global fee out of Medicaid only would cover somebody being moved through an assembly line in institutionalized care because it's designed for the payment of the masses, not for individualized care. So licensing midwives does not increase the access to low-income folks because it does not pay a living wage. And so the only midwives in most states that can take Medicaid and actually make a living wage are those that run birth centers because, again, they're moving people through a system. Another piece of access is they're saying, this will make birth safer because we'll give midwives medicines to save lives. But the formulary, the, the licensing legend drugs devices formulary that gets usually written into rules or law is often so limited, again, going back to this idea of midwives don't practice medicine, so why do they need access to medicine? Because there's this overlap between evidence-based care, modern midwifery, and traditional midwifery. And now we understand that actually there are lots of natural things to help turn a breech baby or to stop a hemorrhage or what have you, but actually there's some pretty awesome medical advances that do it very, very well. And so we should have access to the best standard of care anywhere. And so midwives should have access to carry syringes and medications and et cetera, et cetera. But when we do that, we cross into that, that gray area, that boundary where we're like, oh, that might be medicine. Like you said, Sarah, that newspaper article in Oklahoma that you know, damned this midwife for doing very appropriate evidence-based care but from a non-educated observer, it looks like they're practicing medicine because they're injecting people and da-da-da-da. So when we limit the scope and we move the, the amount or the types of medication that midwives can carry down to the very most bare minimum, um, are we actually increasing safety? Like, like here's, here's, a, here's an example that I dealt with in Oregon. And Oregon has a pretty, used to have a pretty broad scope. It's changing now, but our formulary did not include antibiotics for UTIs or antifungals for breast infections. These are not dangerous meds. These are meds that in most countries in the world you can get in a pharmacy without a prescription. But in the US, we have this hyper control of the market and you know, this centralization. And so in order for us to get that care, the mom would have to go into a clinic with her brand new baby at three days old or whatever was happening, which does not decrease risk. That does not increase her health. It does not, it doesn't do anything except for exclude midwifery from being a, a, a main provider, right? It doesn't help that mom. It's that monopolization of medicine, a restriction of care, monopolization of services. And that's where you have to attack it. So as long as the medical monopolization exists, it exists, and we have to fight out from under it. So I don't think the real question is licensed midwifery or not, because as long as medicine is no. defined and licensed, yep. we have to carve out midwifery. Yep. Yep. So I, I totally agree with you. So we can no longer have the argument about license or not license because basically it's coming. The big push has advocated in such a way nationwide enough lawmakers have got their panties in a bind about this needing to happen, that it's happening. We have 17 states left to license to bring it to 50 and one, two, three, four, like how many have legislative sessions right now that are considering bills 
we will move, I think, very, very quickly in the next three years to seeing the rest of the states license midwives. So this is no longer a debate, but the, but the, the core of the debate, I think, exists, and that is autonomy and the sovereignty of choice making, right? And like you said, we do need to fight it, but that's what hangs in the balance, is does the state decide what your midwife is allowed to do? Or do you and your midwife? And we see this on a big public scale as well when we look at the, the mandatory vaccine bills that come through states, right? That is the state saying, we're determining what's in your best baby's best interest, not you and your doctor. And this move towards, I mean, I don't, what do you even call this? It's, it's lack of sovereignty. It's lack of, of autonomy. This is happening in all segments of society. I mean, for instance, right now in the pandemic, the state telling you you have to wear a mask in public is an example of this. I'm not saying it's wrong, and I certainly don't the, want to get into a debate. The state but, tells you you have to wear pants in public. Is right? that, you think that I, is infringing autonomy? It, I'm, it could I'm be just argued. Saying I'm not somewhere saying I there's a line. I'm just where not sure where that line I think, is. I think, that's I think that's comparing apples and oranges because... Tell us, Keisha. Oh, because protection of public health and safety, this notion that the government should protect your health and safety, in my opinion, is wrong and should Tell not exist. Tell us I more. I personally, I mean, I can play both sides because, you know, I'm an attorney. You're a lawyer. I, <laughs> I have to be a devil's advocate and I have to go with the narrative where I am and I have to work with what I have. Where are we going to undo licensure in a state where it already existed since 1983? Probably not. But if I had it my way, I would eliminate, I would eviscerate licensure of almost any kind because licensure is not protecting public health and safety. And if you could do that, it would be reasonable, but it would have to be of any kind. You know, you'd have to say, we can, there is no medicine, there is no physician licensure because anybody can get whatever drug they want, inject themselves with whatever things they want. And I, I understand the argument for that. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but that's where you're talking about. If we go full autonomy, well, look, if you want licensure, let's just let's just stop saying it's for public health and safety. Let's say it's for what it is. It's a money making operation, usually by the state, um, and maybe it ensures a certain degree of education or credentialing, mm -hmm. or 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 certification, mm -hmm. but that doesn't necessarily protect public health and safety. I think you have, I think it's so far gone, it's not even worth talking about. Mm -hmm. This idea of the government protecting public health and safety is ingrained into our law, in criminal law, in civil law, in administrative law. I don't think it's going anywhere. What I'm saying is I think it was wrong to ever infiltrate our culture in the first place. And the reason we have the problems we're discussing on this show is because of that idea that the government should be protecting us. And it's also the reason we're having the mask issue and the issues with, with vaccinations. Every single thing I work for in my practice comes back to the government protecting public health and safety. Every single problem I work on for every family, every mother, every child, is tied back to that notion. And I believe that is wrong. That's yeah. what I think. Yeah. And yet we're talking about a behemoth of a system that has centuries of entrenched belief 
and and law. And so like Sarah's point is that we're not going to repeal any of that. And in fact, the the powers that be are marching this forward. So that brings us yeah. to our solutions segment of this call. What are the solutions? Sarah has found one uh, really, I think, important solution. She wrote the damn bill. She said, this is coming I, down the pipe. I was on a team that wrote the bill. Okay, but I, I know you. You're a powerhouse behind that, I'm sure. And so I helped um, as much as I could. One solution was to say, okay, this is coming. We're going to do it. With people that are listening for the remaining, well, there's, you know, 17, 16, for the remaining 15 states that are still considering this this year, mm -hmm. what can they do? Joyce, Sarah, what's important for midwifery advocates to advocate for in a, in a rulemaking or a lawmaking process? Frankly, if you're going to bring language, you have to have people who know how to play the game. We can't, you know, grassroots is great. And I believe it in my heart. But if you really sincerely want to basically manipulate the system to your benefit. And, you know, I, I see licensing can be a money game. I think in, in the case of midwifery right now, it can be a protection game. So because the, because the broader definitions and the broader licensing and the broader sectioning already exists, but you need somebody. So, you know, you, you hire a midwife because she spent the majority of her life learning the intricacies of a process. And that, Lots of times doesn't matter at all, but when it does matter, it really matters. And so we worked closely with people who um, were able to be in the Capitol all the time and uh, really had dedicated their lives to understanding how the chess pieces move and how it works in the back rooms. And I think that if, if that's your goal, I think that's important. Yeah, work with an expert, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So an expert in lawmaking or several that then can teach your advocates to stand in the hallways and talk to the right lobbyists and, and advocate for what have you. Like, absolutely. That's very important. Mm -hmm. Joyce, what were you going to say? Like in those states that are facing this coming down the barrel, what do they do? I surrender. There yeah. is no appetite in Massachusetts from consumers or midwives to learn the process, be at the state house every day, call their legislators or hire experts. Today, I surrender. The, the big push in Bay State Birth Coalition, the big push funds a lobbyist for Bay State Birth Coalition and they are on the hill, they're at the state house every day. And, and and there, again, there is no appetite in the midwifery community. I mean, our state trade organization has chosen, the members have voted to be Switzerland. We, we, are, we don't even discuss it because when Bay State Birth Coalition came in and wrote this legislation and presented it, our midwifery community, this wonderful, warm, Cons like you know cooperative everybody attended everybody else's births imploded 
you know, this, these people don't talk to these people and these people, we, we are, we are decimated, right? We are decimated. Our state organization no longer talks about licensure because our members voted that that's what they have wanted to do. So if, even though it's coming, even though it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. So the, Consumers stick their head in the sands. Midwives stick their head in the sand. There is no appetite. And some days when I have the wherewithal, I you know write my one pager and I walk around the state house and I take pictures and I keep it present. Uh, but th- there is nobody else uh, that uh, has any interest. So I give up today. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and I get the feeling, I, I completely empathize with that because when I wrote our bill and got bipartisan support, I was very gung-ho, I was very positive, and it only took a few days of speaking to a few really disgusting, nasty senators to, to help me understand just how taxing and emotionally draining and how it is such hard work. What I would say, though, if, if the midwives in your state are organizing in some sort of professional membership association, I think that's really important. I think that that's actually what got the medical profession to the place that they are today. I actually don't think it was necessarily just the implementation of licensure. I think it was wealthy, white, educated men, for the most part, collectively organizing and selling themselves and 100%. shaking hands and kissing babies. You're right. And midwives, at least the ones I've worked with, it's like mm-hmm. herding cats. Mm-hmm. And we can't, <laughs> we can't get them to agree maybe just on one thing. No, you don't shameful. have to agree on everything. Mm-hmm. But let's, yeah. let's talk about the one thing we all want mm-hmm. and leave the rest aside and maybe mm-hmm. use a, um, a professional membership organization the dues or let's promote ourselves in the community we used to have a birth coalition in arkansas we used Mm -hmm. to have a professional membership association at one point they joined forces and published and wrote a beautiful book about midwifery i envision a day where you see billboards about your state's midwifery association Mm -hmm. and people understand what midwifery is because people talk about it and promote it and they Mm -hmm. go out and they have a Facebook page and they have social media and they have a website and they're organized. It's a huge task. It's a lot of work. And I understand that what midwives do already is, is so it's the most wonderful thing in the world. So the last thing you want to do is, is to think about that extra job and task. But I feel like that is one of the most important keys or factors in this. And then if, if you want to, you have the funds and the resources in the clout and it makes that one pager that you have to write so much easier because you can task it to somebody else maybe. <laughs> and maybe this is idealistic and it'll never happen. But that's what chiropractors did. That's what doctors That's what I was going right. to say. Chiropractors yes. did such a good job advocating for yeah. themselves that they're on every damn street corner in America now. Yeah, yeah. It, it can happen. And, it's mm-hmm. just going to take a, a real shift in our thinking. In well, and I think we have to... We have to hold the midwifery community to task, right? We need a, we need a call out here that the ship jumping culture, the, the divisive culture that we are, are nurturing in midwifery is destroying midwifery and nobody else cares. So 
fine. We, <laughs> nobody you know. cares that you're no? destroying yourself. This no, is a divide and conquer. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it is. Yeah. We're being divided and conquered because we all don't agree on every point of every situation. Yeah. And so we're taking apart midwifery. And yeah. what we, I really or we're certainly we not to, prepared for the future. Like we're certainly not prepared. We're staying stuck in the past. We're staying stuck in the past. Yeah. 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 And the only way forward is, is to link up and everybody push in a direction. Which is that great, Joyce, before you joined us, Sarah Davis from California was on the call and she wrote her thesis on creating a unified board that is a midwifery governing board in California for CMs, CNMs, and CPMs so that they would all be under the same umbrella because this idea of linking up changes everything. So we've talked a lot about the, the beginning of licensure for CPMs in many states, but the other major midwifery legislative agenda thing that's happening is creating autonomy for the CNMs because although they are legal in 50 states, they are only actually legal and autonomous in 21 states. Mm -hmm. And so this push to have them not have physician supervision so that they can make autonomous choices is simultaneously happening along with the licensing of CPMs. Mm -hmm. And both, both will change the landscape of birth in America. If, if we can, if we can unify, if we can strategize in such a way that we aren't destroying ourselves, like Joyce's example of, of an so entire board Augustine, not talking. Yeah. Augustine, in, in 2008, 9, 10, we, the CPMs and the CNMs in Massachusetts wrote and presented a bill for a midwifery board. And I think that bill was presented for you know 10 legislative sessions so it probably started in 2000 and moved well before that anyway several for 10 years so what happened was acnm national told massachusetts acnm we will not give you the state funding if you continue to maintain the connection and the lice the, the mm-hmm. bill that would have have a midwifery board. And so CNMs broke off and they, you know, I don't, maybe it was 2012, wrote their own bill to get out from underneath physician oversight. And they got that in recently, 2012, 14, recently. (laughs) I think it was 18 actually. So yeah, it was pretty recent. And so up until that point in the 1980s, Massachusetts Board of Nursing said that no registered nurse in Massachusetts can attend home birth, power and control, whatever. So when the CNMs get out from the physicians, up until that point, no CNMs were attending home birth. And now that they're out from underneath the physicians, now we have a couple of CNMs who are attending home birth in Massachusetts. It's so convoluted. It's It's so convoluted. It's so So complicated. Uh, I would love to see it really a free board, but it's a divide and conquer situation. It feels like all the time. Yeah. And they've been very successful and, and we've helped like these wedges that are between all the various definitions of midwifery have, have been very effective at keeping us all separate. And yeah, I think, I think one of the biggest solutions to any midwives listening to this call is you got to get over your shit and you got to be friends with your neighbor midwives. 
Like you got to get over it because there's absolutely no way to move forward individually. We must move forward all mass or it won't work mm -hmm. because licensure is coming. If there aren't enough numbers to defend each other, to speak up for each other, then it will absolutely go down. Mm -hmm. And consumers can facilitate that too. Absolutely. By, by supporting the midwives in the community in, in mass. Yeah, right. Like starting a Friends of the Midwives and not just being home birth midwives. Like all right. midwives need support. You better right. believe midwives who practice in the hospital are under their own kind of hell and discrimination and, and you know, regulation and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like yeah. all midwives need support. Yes. And we have to stop dividing based on care location or educational path. And we need to start really unifying how to do that will maybe need to be a podcast for another day. <laughs> <laughs> We may not solve this problem today, Augustine, I'm afraid. We, we might not. <laughs> Darn it. Oh, you know, I love to get solutions out. Well, it's been such a great pleasure speaking to both of you. Keisha, thanks for your legal expertise as always. Joyce, thanks for joining us last minute. Your, your inspirational thoughts and, and comments have been great. And, and Sarah, my goodness, I wish you so much luck there in Oklahoma in your process. Um, when is your next, next step of this licensure process? Um, I believe that the board will be appointed. We okay. are writing rule recommendations now. The midwives are. Well, um, I hope that you end up on the board uh, so that you well, can advocate you just loudly. like me, Augustine. <laughs> I, no, I love you. That's not a punishment. That's, I, your state needs you. <laughs> yes. I, I, I won't say no, but well. if there is somebody better equipped i'd rather than do it <laughs> amen to all of those situations yes. well thank you thank you all bye guys nice bye. to meet you guys thank you thank, thank you. you bye joyce bye sarah bye, bye. nice to meet you you too